start. Sooners of Oklahoma 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning into another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. As always, myself, Barry, personal trainer, sports performance coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and alongside me, former Sooner wide receiver, 2000 national champ, Mr. Damian Mackey. How are you doing today, D-Mac? What's going on, B? Call me gray hair. Looking at my beard, I see those gray hairs, man. Let you know I got a little bit of experience under my belt. There you go, man. I got officially like three in my head, and my wife lets me know all the time. <laughs> They're like right <laughs> in the you. front, too. <laughs> I remember we, on, we were on vacation last year, and, and wife was like, what is that on your head? And she was like, oh, my gosh, you got a gray hair right there. It was, oh, man, it was a big to-do. Um, but... uh Things are going well on my end. Uh want to hear how things are for you. We just got back from vacation. Uh, had to change things up a little bit last minute due to, due to some uh, travel issues, but went to St. Croix, stayed at a beautiful, beautiful resort um, right there on the beach. Room was a uh, oceanfront beach view. Absolutely amazing. The food was really good. Got to swim with some stingrays, some turtles, uh, some Nemos, some Dorries. Everything in between. I mean, I would. So I am an okay swimmer. Wife is phenomenal. Like she has no problem. You know how you do the, like those big snorkeling trips. So they'll kind of take you out into the middle of the water and stuff. Yeah. And they'll give you a life jacket or something on your waist to help you not sink to the bottom. Wife could go just totally free of anything, man. She can just sit there float. I'm not quite so good. Um, I, I get a little freaked out, especially early on. I'm not the greatest swimmer on the planet, but man, she is phenomenal. But coolest thing was we were at this place called Cane Bay. They had an awesome restaurant there, uh, but got to swim with some sea turtles, man. It was really, really, really cool. Uh, so I highly encourage everybody, if you have not done anything in, in the ocean, go do it. it. It is so much fun. There's uh, so much cool stuff down there awesome to see god's creation and just all of the the beauty man if you have not experienced that like it is lakes are cool like going fishing at your little little grandpa's pond really cool but there is nothing like being in the middle of the ocean got some clear goggles on you got your snorkel on or your scuba gear whatever it is you're doing and going down to the bottom of the ocean what's going on for you mr Mackey? business as usual Business as usual, I'm super grateful to be in a position to uh, transition our business the last 15 months. We've been building it up and uh, creating an exit strategy for ourselves to uh, separate from our previous partners and are now uh, working solo, man. And, and uh, we're running our agency. We've got about, a, got about 50 guys with us that are uh, helping us secure families take care of insurance needs and retirement needs and, and things of that nature. And, and I say this all the time, Barry, uh, and I don't know that I've ever said it on the call on this, uh, on the pod, like this industry is a secret honey hole. I, you know, I used to be a principal and a football coach and all that. Right. And went to school and all these degrees and blah, 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 blah. 
I got into this industry five. This is this will be five years in August. So it's five full years now. And I mean, I don't know. I've ten x my W two income. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it's 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 one of those things, man, where it can definitely change your life and provide you opportunity. And you do a good service, man. You're really helping folk out. Humbled and grateful. Humbled and grateful. God put me in position to to have the opportunity to be in this space and uh, definitely taking advantage of it. That is awesome, man. Yeah, there, there's nothing like having that power over your situation or whatever it is that you have going and just kind of taking control. Somebody was, can't remember what I was listening to. It might've been an interview on Vlad TV, which if you guys don't watch Vlad TV and you are hip hop heads, absolutely yeah, go. Oh man, go, go, go take a look. So the best interviews on the planet. That's how I knew all about this Keefy D stuff, right? Tupac, um, they just uh, did a search warrant on Keefy D's house. Uh, very interesting. But if you were listening to Vlad TV, he's interviewed Keefy D. I think it's like two years ago. You would have already known all this stuff and, and been up to date. But one of the things he said was what stresses people out the most. I can't remember who it was that was on there. But one of the things they said is that the most stressful someone will be is when they don't have control or know what's going to happen in their situation. That is when people are the most stressed. But when you have ownership and control, even if it's difficult, even if it's something that you know is going to require hard work, you know there's a process, you know there's there's a long trek to where you need to get to, the fact of knowing and, and owning your situation and having control over it makes it less stressful. When you are at the mercy of somebody else it makes things a lot tougher to deal with. You you don't know them better than yourself, and and I'm sure you can you can speak on that a bunch, man. But in, in my opinion, having some some ownership or or some uh, some control over how your destiny sort of turns out is is just massive from a stress standpoint. It's why you know I can go do some things, go have some time away, and, and not be concerned about what's going on over here with the boss or whatever. So, um, awesome stuff, man. But uh, OU fans, obviously tuning in here, uh, they they like to hear a little bit of the side stories. But you guys came for the football content, and we are going to give it to you, Dmac. Right off the top, when I got back from vacation, uh, checked on Twitter, got back on and in, into the fray, and the first thing I see is tons of posts about the end of summer and how the OU players are looking right now. You know, we talked about it a year and a half ago when, when Schmitty got there and what his impact was going to be, how it was going to be more felt in the second year. But you look at guys even like Ethan Downs, right? A, a player who a year ago we said, you know, he needs to fill out into that three tech body. Maybe that's a better fit for him. You know, maybe he needs to put on a few more pounds, but in the recent stuff that we've seen, he's looking lean and mean. He's got the chiseled jaw. He, he's still looking, looking pretty jacked, but has definitely kind of turned into that, that pro body, right? A lot of guys that have had that. When you look at a, a first year college player, versus like an NFL pro, one of the things that stands out is just how lean they are, 
right? Kind of the the chiseledness of the look, right? When guys are first tr- really starting to put on weight, there's kind of a, a, a puffiness to everything, right? There's a little bit of that that water retention versus a, a a chiseled veteran who has been in there for a while. Their their muscles have had time to mature, develop. They've got that grown man, old man strength, and, and that means a lot when it comes to competing on Saturday. So DMAC, you've seen some of the stuff floating out there too. You've personally gone through it. What are your thoughts with the end of the second summer under coach Jerry Schmidt? Yeah, it's exciting. It looks good. Um, You know, you look well, you feel well, you play well. I think uh, Dion primetime Sanders said that we always, we for the last, I don't know, decades or 15 years have belabored around our guys just looking smaller, inferior, little, weak, or or just not physical or powerful or explosive. And I don't know, man, you know, I, I feel like I'm probably atypical of the me of the last seven or eight years, but I, I just have a, a cautionable excitement because did you see the picture of the D line with the release shirts and some of the guys came up out of their elite shirts? Like, mm-hmm. my God, Gila monster, right? We brought that term up last year. Like we legit have Gila monsters. We got dudes whose barrel chests, um, long arms definition and they're 309. You know what I'm saying? Like these aren't 272 pound, no disrespect to Chuka and Dula and guys like that. But like those guys were undersized, you know, uh, DNs or tweeners, and we're trying to play them at a three-tech. Well, go look at Terry. Go look at Sears. Those dudes, Go. by the way, go look at Leilau. Holy, he's huge. These guys look, look they look the part. Um, and it's, it's, it's critical, man. I just remember when I, you know, when I was coming in, I looked at me and I looked at, like you said, the guys who had been in the program, I'm looking at Terry, uh, uh, um, said Stevens and and Terry White, Ante Jones, and I'm looking like, damn, I like I'm looking at my body. I'm like, yo, <laughs> I don't look like that. And of course, as I got older, right, I, I I grew and developed. But like the new recruits who are going to be coming in to be Sooners, the new D linemen who are going to be coming in um, in the years to come, they're going to see that example, and they're going to hit the weights until they meet that standard. And they're going to say, like, that is just par for the course. You're not going to be a freak. A freak is relative. I think, I don't know if it was you or someone else who said it, but there's a lot of of people using the term freak. And, And in reality, by definition, freak is like anomaly. It's like one in a million. It's not like one on every team. You know what I'm saying? Or like yeah. three on every team. Maybe three, two or three on a Georgia, uh, you know, a Bama, an LSU, an OU caliber team throughout the entire roster. But like there are levels to what the makeup and, and structure of your guys look like. And of course you want to recruit guys who have higher ceilings, bigger frames, more explosive, faster, the whole nine, but that, that, um, that, that strength and conditioning, that health and sports science and to have Schmitty come and, and, and you called it Barry, you did, you really did a year and a half ago saying, what will we look like going into fall camp of 2023? I would say in that, with that criteria, Barry, I would say exceeds expectations. You get, you see Lewis Crawford. Oh my gosh. 
Dude, he looks like a he's a fresh, he's a true freshman. He looks like a but see you recruit, right? You get the five-star kid who has the 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 actual body, and then you 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 hit on one with that. He's gotta stay healthy and he's gotta be able to make his keys. Blah, blah, blah. But in terms of the physical, oh, he's I like I said it, prototype will. Like that is the will of 2023 football. And we got one, and by the way, we got another one named Samuel, who is also a Will slash Cheetah slash, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, flank the middle linebacker type backer. And both of those guys could be a Mike in a year or two, too. So I, I'm, I'm excited. They look good. Um, I expect us to out-athlete guys. I expect to see a huge disconnect between what guys can do and what we can do on Saturdays. If not, there's problems. I totally agree. You know, you look back, uh, one of my favorite seasons to, to really see that is, it, and I know it's a tough comparison because the team wasn't very good back then, but you go watch, I think it was 2003 when OU came in with the throwbacks, um, that very first game, I think they had Dan Code, O2, um, and uh, it was the first game of the year. And that they North go Texas. out there, North Texas, North Texas, and they were so obviously bigger and badder and stronger than everybody else on that other sideline. And yes, it's North Texas, but how often has OU played teams that really are about like North Texas and they still have issues, right? So last it's season. getting back to that last season, right? It's getting back to that. It's getting back to just being so good that you feel sorry for the other team on the opposing sideline. It's let, let's get that quarterback out. So he doesn't get hurt. That, that left tackle is getting beat so bad. Let's go ahead and pull him. He's, he's just had a rough day. When you get back to that, you are going to start winning championships again. And, and OU, the, the players look fantastic. And, and BV kind of mentioned this, this in his presser, the experience level when it comes to training plays such a key role because you now have guys who saw what the expectations were. And more importantly, if last year they weren't able to meet them, they know how they fell short. And I would say a lot of players last year in the strength room probably didn't achieve what they needed to achieve. But you know what you do? You go back, you learn from it, you you take notes, you say, okay, this is what I did a year ago and I didn't do very well. This is what I need to do this year. And it sounds like even if you did well, you take a guy like Billy Bowman, who sounds like last year he probably did have a pretty good camp. This year, it sounds like he's had a phenomenal camp and he, and he is ready to go out there and dominate. And then, but essentially last year, a player like Peyton Bowen didn't have a Billy Bowman to look at as he does this year and say, this is how the player who is playing or going to potentially play at an All-American level, this is how he's training. So this is how I need to train. And, and yes, you know, the stars matter, the, the body types matter, but it's at a certain point, it comes down to the work. That's why you can take a guy like, you know, like I predict, like Marcus Strong, who is just a, a good body, who plays with great hustle, who has some a little bit of twitch to his game, and you put him in a good program where he can get stronger and look better and look the part, man, it, it just goes so far. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to get into, listening to Brent Venable's press conference on, on the way back on the flight, he, he was asked a question about uh, comparing 
the uh, his defense of this year to some of the past programs that he's played at. And maybe this is just a, you know, kind of a bigger, broader, you know, view or, or thought on what compare what comparisons do, what they mean, you know, this, that, and the third. But he tempered his expectations regarding the defense and comparing it to some of his more elite um, ones that he's had at Clemson and that he's also had at Oklahoma. He basically brushed it off and said, these guys still need to do the work. These guys still need to go out there and get it done. When you see Venables saying, hold the phone on comparing it, hold the phone on, on putting these guys in the same class as that, for you, does that temper expectations? Does that make you sit back and take pause? Or is this just a situation of he has a lot of players who haven't done it, he thinks they can, but he doesn't want to put that kind of expectation on him? Or is that expectation being put on him, he's just not doing it publicly? Yeah, you know, there's um, the saying, under-promise and over-deliver. I, I, I think, I think um, listen, here, here. The numbers, the talent level, um, the returning individuals plus the portaled in slash recruited guys, when you line them up apples to apples last year to this year, it, there's no way around seeing a dramatic difference, right? Um, Bothrod and, and, and Ford and PJ, there's, we don't have any dude that looks like that last season. We now have three. Um, you know, you, you addition by subtraction with, and, and no disrespect, but I mean, I owe you right. The level of, um, talent at the, on the second level on the defense, it just was not up to standard at OU, right? If, if Stutz is, is your mainstay, he needs to be surrounded by more talent than he, he's not the most talented linebacker in America. And if, and if he's your most talented, obviously Kanek is there, but he's really wet behind the ears last season. You know, you've got a very low standard. So I feel like, uh, well, I know the coaches are excited about what they have in the cupboard. I know the coaches feel like the guys have earned it since January, coming back for off season and then spring ball and then summer camp. And then they're obviously in the, in just getting started with fall camp. Uh, but I also do know, here's what I know too, psych psychologically speaking, Barry, when you have a mediocre team, right, you're using the media to get those guys jazzed up. You're you're positive lensing everything, right? Hey, we're going to try to attack people with this. Hey, I feel like, you know, this is an area where we can do it because you want your guys to hear you have their back because, you know, right, they might be in a position where they lack the, the confidence to be successful. When you have the goods, one, there's two approaches. The, the very direct approach is to say, hey, man, I, I expect to kick ass and they better. And by the way, it works. By the way, that was Bob after our natty. After we won the natty, Bob was like, yo, everybody coming for us. Don't be scared of it. Embrace it. Go get it. So that is an approach. Uh, but the other approach is to under-promise and over-deliver, play coy, right? And I, I think they're... You know, the national perception of us right now, we like we had our first losing season in over 20 years. Uh, we had a deficiency in talent across the board, right? We had we have a bunch of teams right now who feel like we're we're a wounded animal. We're in the midst of a transition to a new conference, which there's gonna be an uptick in talent and competition, right? It's actually primed for us to to 
to be the humble ass kicker. And, and since the, the program is going to be humble about it, I'm going to go ahead and promote and say to, to the Oklahoma community, like, they know what they got behind those walls. And um, to, to put it, to, to, to listen to the way Coach Venables is saying it, he's essentially saying two things. One, they got to go do it on Saturday. There have been, you know, I think of that, I think there was a, uh, a Tennessee, oh, was it? no, it was the Eagles when they had uh, the kid that went to Texas. I don't like saying his name, but QB Vince Young. I think yep. he went to the Eagles and was a backup to Vic. And then they got like all these corners and all these receivers. And this was 15 years ago. But if you remember, they were talking about a championship on paper and the team was terrible. I don't even think they made the playoffs that easy. I think they had like a seven game losing streak or something. And so I, I think there's something to be said around counting your chickens before they hatch. Right. We've got to be careful to who do we play week one? Do we Arkansas State. We play Tulsa week one. Who do we play? Arkansas State. Play Arkansas State. Arkansas State. Okay. I got good memories against those guys. (laughs) We've got to come out Arkansas State. (laughs) We've got to come out Arkansas State and and put 50 up in the second quarter to really validate to the the OU community. Because for me, I am also going to promote it. But like I I said, what was the date that I said, Barry, that for me, I'm going to be a skeptic until what date? Do you remember? No. Uh, what second Saturday in October? Third Monday in October, baby. That, yep, that there you go. Second, like for me, I do expect us to come out the gates and put half a hundred on Archie State. I do expect us to. I think we played Tulsa in Tulsa. I think I do expect us yep. to play Tulsa, the, the Golden Hurricane, and and win and have a lot of the red shirts get a lot of. You know, I want to see Jackson Arnold throw for three touchdowns that night, but at the same time. At Oklahoma was supposed to do that, and so I don't think our fans, I don't think our, I don't think that you know um, the people who support us will be excited if we get through September four and zero because we got through September four and zero last year, and then we saw K State on a Saturday night and and literally got beat up for sixty minutes. So he he he's playing it right. I think coach is doing a good job of making sure he's not blowing his wad, so to say, right? And, and oh my God, I'm so excited. We're so much better. Uh, the guys will have the opportunity to do that, but there's also just a, a, an underlying meaning in what he's saying. Coach, know he got spades, and if he if he was playing if he was playing the game of spades, coach, know he got more spades, more books in his hand than he had last season. He knows that linebacker position is not razor thin, right? With depth, he knows he's got eight or nine guys in the offensive line that he can depend on. He knows if Dylan Gabriel goes down, there's a five-star who's been around since the spring who may even be have more talent, right? We've, we've replenished the ranks at receiver. It's unknown, but we know there's more guys who can run and play competitive ball. By the way, I know you heard who he said had the best summer amongst the receivers. Who was that, Petaway? You didn't hear who he said had the best summer amongst the receivers? Uh-uh, I did Oh, Drake. Oh, who did he say? Reggie said Drake. Venable okay. said Freeman. Freeman. Oh yeah, I did see that. Reggie Come on, did man, say your boy, man, your did boy. Say Freeman. That's right. <laughs> so just just competitive depth across the board. Coach calls it competitive or championship depth. Let's go, Barry. We 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 have to win. Like I don't want to be the optimist, road, you know, crimson colored glasses. It's not even that. I'm a pessimist who says if we don't win by big margins, something is very wrong because the kids have paid the price. We got the right talent. We're recruiting higher than we did with Link, and we're playing in a lame duck conference before we go play with the big boys next season.
the timing is mm. perfect. We have to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that, that he brought up in the, uh, in the press conference, and I really want to talk about it as it relates to all the coaches. And I think it was, it's easier now that you've had a season to, to get your culture in there and to build the expectation and know what to expect. Last year, they were playing with such kid gloves. It seemed like with a lot of those players, they, they had guys who maybe they were afraid they'd run off if they were a little too critical you know, maybe those guys didn't quite have the psyche that was necessary, but he talked about one of the uh, biggest strong suits, strong suits or um, kind of character traits that coach Emmett Jones had was one, his ability to, to kind of have tough conversations, but do it in a way where, you know, the kid doesn't feel attacked where the athlete feels like they're, they're still loved and cared about. And, you know, it's still about them succeeding but the biggest thing he talked about was was being transparent. And uh, I want to ask for you as a player, you know, uh, trying to see it on the coach's side, you know, you've got all these guys who who want to compete, want to take different positions, who who think they're really good, might not be, and there is a process to getting better. You know, we know it in the strength world, in the performance world, like, like what it takes. You You can't go from week one to week eight without doing all those, all those weeks in between. It just doesn't happen. There, there's work that has to happen there. So as they're going into fall camp, are there discussions being had as guys start to kind of see where they're falling? Is there, are there guys who obviously know that they're going to have a spot on that depth chart versus guys who you know, maybe they're hitting fall camp and maybe now they're a few weeks into it and not seeing the opportunities they thought might be there. What do those conversations and dynamics look like when it comes to having quote unquote transparent conversations, especially with players who are very, very talented, who think they should have a spot, who think they should be playing, who don't think they maybe have as much that they need to work on or get better at. What did those dynamics look like? Can that stuff fray a position group, fray a locker room? What's going on at, at that point? Yeah, by the way, really good question. Um, I did my master's in urban, edu urban educational leadership and uh, the type of research that I did when I did my master's was called action research, right? Quantitative, just qualitative and quantitative research, right? And so when you're going into a fall camp, and we talked about this last year, this is the one true time where you have, it's about, it's about, Barry, it's about, it's about seven practices. We used to do double days every day. We had a two a day every day. So, you know, you had like 10 practices or a week. They obviously do it a little different now just with the safety, but they probably still have six to eight practices and two scrimmages where like, you know, unless you're an entrenched starter, right? Um, stunts is entrenched. I would say uh, Bowman, Billy Bowman is, is entrenched, right? Woody is entrenched. Those guys, this camp is about safety. It's about, you know, being fit, uh, clean reads, quick reads, so on and so forth. But for everyone else, it's it's both the qualitative and quantitative data, right? So, so let's break that down, right? So the first thing is every single practice and every single rep is recorded. Recorded meaning... Video recorded, but also a statistician is there, statistician is there taking the stats. Mental 
uh, mental, physical, and then did you make the play? Offense and defense. Offense and defense. If you even today, I was watching some of the Twitter stuff, and you know, obviously, totally different than when we were there. But see how many support people are on the field. There's dozens of them on every sideline. There's dozens. Why? Because somebody's responsible for football. Somebody's responsible for dummies, and somebody's responsible for recording every play. Now, I say that because this is a very sensitive time. This is a very sensitive time, right? Like you said, summer is. And, 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 you know, obviously Reggie and I talked about it last week. It's one of the most difficult times. You know, you're a 21, 22-year-old kid and everyone else is in Cancun or studying abroad or just being at home chilling, being lazy. And you're dealing with 110-degree heat and Smitty, there's no coaches to help you. Smitty's kicking your ass. So it's hard. And then you go into fall camp and, and you're a 1B or maybe you're a 2A. Right. A one a one B is a pretty cool place to be because you're going to travel. You're going to get reps. It's just are you getting two to one or are you going to be the one getting one to two? But if you're a two and and maybe you're a two B, a two B is really 14. You with me, Barry? Right. Because there's maybe a one A, a one B, a two A, a two B. So two B is really like 14. And that's on the bubble to travel. These guys want to travel. Travel is what gets you in position to get a chance to play. If you don't travel, you're 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 not playing. Even if you're upperclassmen, unless there's a string of injuries. So we get to fall camp, and this is the stuff you can't argue about. Let me just kind of go down the laundry list. You can't argue about coach will say, I know I know I know Coach V. Coach V wants to know who's out there first. Right? You know, guys like Rocky and Roy Lee, um, there were times where they would be out there first because they had things they wanted to work on. But Roy's junior year, there were times where Roy came out five minutes before practice started because he was inside making sure his body was what it needed to be because he had earned the right to do that. You're a 2A or you're a 1B. You better have your ass on the field on the jug machines, getting a stretch in, talking to coach about like that. By the way, Barry, that's you're graded. You're graded against your peers on if you're chilling in the locker room, you know, what I'm saying slap dicking or if you're on the field. I guarantee you they're paying attention. Who's the last receiver to come out? Who's the last tight end to come out? Then there's the actual plays. Did you run the right route? That's a plus or a minus. Uh, um, did you get, you know, rerouted or, or, or jammed? Or did you, if you're a D lineman, did you keep the right shoulder open and free? Did you open the hip up correctly so that you put all that's graded? And then, of course, it's the play. Did you drop it? Did you catch it? Did you make somebody miss? So all of that is recorded because you're going to go back and watch film and coach is going to grade your day. So if I am Jack West Petaway and, and Anthony and Petaway are playing for the same position, that part is not debatable. You had 13 reps. He had 12 reps. You had, you know, let's say three pluses. Every play when we were here, when we were there, you had three opportunities to get, you had an opportunity to get three pluses, or three scores per play, right? So you had 13 plays, you had 37 pluses and check minus. You had 36 plays, you know, you had 22, um, 22 pluses, seven checks and, and six minuses. That's not debatable, right? It, it lets you know where you stand in the in the actual data driven aspect of it, then there's the um, the action research. Specials come up, 
were a man down. By the way, camp, you got all the, you got the yellow hats, you got the tape, you got all the stuff happening, right? Because you got a million guys out there, but boom, you do punt team and they need a gunner. Coaches are paying attention to who runs in there to play, plays gunner. Mm. And they speak about it. Hey, Mackie, great job, man. I mean, Bobby Jack, Mackie, you got in there. Duh, duh, duh. Guess what? You see yourself on that on that special depth chart. If you're a 2A, 2B, you know, like, I better get on those specials depth charts because I know that's a way to travel. I know that's a way to get on the field. Some guys, they don't see it that way or they're too cool for school or I don't know, whatever the case may be. They miss it. And the guys who pay attention to those nuances and details, they take advantage of it and they get a spot. So can, when you I ask you something on that, are there some players who don't want does that ever a mentality of I don't want to play specials? I want to is that a mentality some guys have? I didn't experience it because Coach Bob and the rest of, and Coach Ven Venables is you no know, Ven Venables was punting. Punting was Venables, his his special. They put so much honor, respect, and like pride in, in, in those specials. Like when, when, and, and I think they still do it, but like we had all starters on, on punting. Punt team was not a special where a three could potentially get on there. It, you very rarely would find a three or even a two, right? Like I remember our punt team was Panks, it was Roy, it was JT, it was Rocky, it was Mike T, it was me, and it was like Heineke. Like that was the cup. I was a, I was a, I was a uh, I was a gunner at first. Me, Wolf, uh, uh, and D Straight, whatever, a couple of guys, and then they put me as the wing, which is how I got injured. Right, me and Mike T were the two wings my last season. Like, ain't no threes playing on punting. Like, Coach V ain't playing that now. Kickoff, punt return, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, some guys. There were some guys. Let me tell you who that community was. Guys who were twos, who coaches. Like, here's how it works. You're in, you're in fall camp and you're having a good camp. Coach V comes up, hey, D-Maggie, uh, you know, uh, what do you think about wing? Can't say no, right? You can't tell coach no. Yeah, coach, whatever you need me, I got you. All right, we're going to give you a chance out there today. We'll see how you do. And, and you kind of, you get that as you're going to stretch lines. And so they're kind of putting that positive pressure on you where you don't really have a place to say no. And they know whose energy is bad, so they just never have that conversation with that person, and you never end up it. Yeah, so, like, you can disclude yourself. I don't even know if that's a word. If your energy is, is lame, if you got lame energy, they're not even going to approach you with the opportunity. But if you got great energy, they're going to give you a shot in the chat. So, so th those two things work in tandem, right? The data is the data. And, and, and I loved how Coach Spurrier do it, and I love how Coach Venables does it, because when we would be in meetings, he would, let's say Rocky bust. Rocky comments, you're All-American, buckets go over, like, bro, you busted. That's a minus. Like, the top dog, it, it, it's front and center, you got a minus, you know what I'm saying? And so, you could count, right? I was one of those guys, <laughs> yeah, I told you, me and Jay Norm, totally different body structures, but Jay Norm very rarely outpointed me. Very rarely, because every play, I was going to do what I was going to do to maximize my pluses. Josh just had different, you know, he can do things I can't do. He's 6'4", whatever. Um, so when you get to that space, Barry, that's why everything matters. Because let's say, here's a, here's a part, I, and I didn't think about this. Let's say summer, you missed four, four workouts, or, or, or coach had to kick you out five times. By the way, that's a data point. 
Coach Venables met with Coach Schmitty for four hours at the end of summer to go over the data points of who did what over the course of summer. That's a prejudice. There's a prejudice there. You miss four practices? Sorry, somebody who didn't miss four practices is going to get a chance before you. That's just the way. It, that's just the way it is. We have enough scholarship guys that we don't have to depend on you because you're a me guy. We want a we guy. We're going to give a we guy an opportunity first. So all of those pieces work in tandem and play together um, to get you the opportunity. But then, of course, what happens? Brandon Daniels misses the entire summer. Uh, he misses his running test. Right. But he's so far and away the best slot receiver. So coach says, hey, dude, you got to run gasters for a week <laughs> and then week two you're starting <laughs> so that scenario happens right if 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 uh sacha just happens to be so much better than the rest of the running backs in the stable they gotta prove a point in saying hey he missed xyz portion of summer or or lifting or attendance or whatever but at the end of the day oh you expect to win football games and if in that period or in fall camp you bring it they're gonna reward you for that too mm. Yeah, I think that's such good insight because, you know, a lot of times, you know, fans, onlookers, they hear of player, you know, player A who goes into summer with all these accolades, with, with all these expectations, but then you get to mid-fall and you're hearing that maybe another guy has overtaken his spot. So it seems like there's a lot of sort of in, intrinsic sort of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff going on in terms of how that playing time um, really kind of plays out like there's a there's a lot of value in your your it basically seems like you're seen at all times it's not just on the field how you're carrying yourself in the locker room how you're carrying yourself with your teammates with your coaches what your energy is like is going to dictate where you play and obviously we're going to go into position battles and discuss things as we get deeper into fall camp but dmac one of the biggest questions we've gotten uh for this pod specifically because of you know what venables has said in pressers and what beaten bows reference uh, this year and then past years is the left guard spot and really right guard too but but those two guard spots are are pretty significant positions and very important for for what ou wants to do in the run game you know, obviously they're important when it comes to, to, to keeping Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold, whoever's back there at any point, uh, keeping them clean. But last year, it, it was a little underwhelming, right? Fans were, were disappointed <laughs> in uh, some of the way certain guys looked. And obviously we're not going to be disrespectful in, in, in that way. But you've got, you know, Matower, you've got Bird, right? You've got Troy Everett coming in. Uh, you, you've got the the Jake Taylors, right? That there's a lot of players there who, honestly, I, I think with any of them, you're going to have opportunity. And probably at the end of the day, it boils down to you're you're going to rotate guys, and Beatonbow is going to be able to use one or two different guys at at any certain point. But as it pertains to offensive line, and I know you didn't play there, when it comes to to fall camp, what do you think? You know, Coach Biedenbow is weighing the heaviest. Is it well, how physical they are? Is it is it the mental side, right? Are, are there things you just, as an offensive lineman, absolutely can't do, you know, on a consistent basis, and that's going to keep you off the field because you're making these one or two mistakes on a regular basis, and the other guy may not be better, but he's a guy who makes that mistake a little bit less often. 
what well, what is going to to elevate that position with the, seemingly a lot of the same faces other than Everett, you know, coming back. There, there's a Caleb Schaefer, I believe, is also kind of in the mix, you know, as a possible player to take that position. But what is going to dictate or create success for OU there at that spot so they don't end up in a situation last year where, where basically that position was, you know, it was kind of an eyesore at certain times to where they couldn't do anything to really left or right side, but it greatly impacted the run game. What does OU need to do there to, to solidify that spot so that it is not such a weakness this season? Yeah, number one is is mental is mental busts. If you mental bust, doesn't matter how physical you are, how talented you are. If you're going to potentially quarterback or running back killed, forget about it. You're sitting fast on the bench. Uh, number two is physicality, um, especially at the left guard position. You want to be able that left guard is going to be pulling a lot. That left guard is going to be uh, you know going to the second level a lot if they're uncovered in the thirty front. <clears throat> um, that 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 individual has to be physical and actually move people. You've got to get people off the spot and, and create alleys and create lanes for the running back. Um, stressing, right? The, the entire kid, the kid that transferred in from Cal, a lot of people had, had issues with him. And, and, and we all got to remember, he was new. Offense was new. Um, a lot of moving parts. By the end of last season, even you and I both discussed, one thing that I appreciate about his arc and his growth was that he was a guy who would consistently cover up his guy. He wasn't necessarily creating uh, a distance or moving him backwards into the backfield or, in you know, pass a line of scrimmage. But he was a guy who, by the end of the season, was kind of like he doesn't bust. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's not sexy. He's not. He's not. He's not kicking ass. But like he's actually reaching the guy he's supposed to reach unless he was outclassed by a bigger, stronger, better athlete. So when um. A lot of fans think about what he brought to table. They just think about 13 games that they saw last season. They don't think about maturity in the program, game experience that he obtained, a year with Schmitty, and a year of getting older, just becoming a more grizzled individual. Um, The coaches are excited about him. The coaches are excited about him. I got to let you know, the coaches are excited about him. And, uh, you know, quietly, I, I, I'm looking and I'm seeing and I'm like, okay, we'll see what he does. Um, and I think that solidifies your right guard position. At the left guard position, right, we kind of have those question marks where you see, we saw the, uh, I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was an OU video, Barry, or if it was Twitter, but when, when Bird was just basically nut dragging whoever he was lined up against through the whistle and then ah, like everybody loves a little bit of that you know what i'm saying give me some of that i'm buying that right that 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 juju is 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 needed the question is can he do it every play the question is will he not step with the wrong foot and then create a lane for a, a, a lineman to do a run through or a backer to do a run through and so uh we hear a lot of language around bird with the if Right. We understand that Bird is one of those guys if. And so we'll see if he takes the next step, if if he raises his level of consistency, because if so, there's my if he's an NFL guy. He's an NFL guy. He, he's gained the, the requisite weight. He's got another year. He's not a guy who's going to potentially come out this year. But from physical tools, let that young man let the game slow down and, and he be able to do that, um, which is the mental space. 
he'll be in good shape. You know, the uh, the other guys, but you know, you talk about Everett, uh, the pup, right? Uh, uh, Green is a guy who's a guard who can play tackle, and and I think he's a guy with a spring and a winter and a summer under his belt can challenge. Don't be surprised, Barry. You know, the bullets are flying now, and I think they'll be in pads midweek next week. When the bullets are flying, again, those 1Bs, you know how they do the depth chart, and it's like Bobby or Tyrone or, you know what I'm saying, Chris. Those ors, they're going to have an opportunity to be at the front of the list. And and, and right now, Caden Green is an or, and and going into fall camp, he's going to get some reps with the ones for sure. He's definitely going to get reps with twos. And if he's going against a two on defense who he can kick their ass, he's going to get reps with ones. So uh, I said it uh, initially, and I'll say it again. We have options. There's about nine guys that they like. They've got about three tackles. They've got two centers for the first time since God knows how long. There's two centers that they actually feel like they can play winning football with today where there isn't someone they have to develop and hope and pray. Um, and they've got four or five guards. So there's going to be a ton of competition. I think Matuire's entrenched. This is only my opinion. I'm not telling you any kind of intel. I think Matuire's entrenched. I think I think, I think Rain, and, uh, he's not entrenched. I don't know, but he's entrenched to be a, a, a primary starter. He could Agreed. push. To, yeah, right, he could push to that that right guard position if uh, he gets outplayed at center. I think Guyton's entrenched. Guyton's a guy they want to market as the next right first round NFL talent. Um, but Barry, everyone else, proven in practice. You're a one B. You're a one B. Let's see if you can get that spot in. <laughs> so it's a good position for us to be in. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Caden Green. I think he has he has the potential to he strikes me as the kind of guy who probably doesn't see significant uh, snaps, maybe first, second, third game. But by like week seven, week eight, they say this guy has the best feet. He plays physical. He knows what he's supposed to do. We're going to get him on the field a little bit more. I absolutely loved his tape. And to me, that was a difference in what OU was offering pre-Riley versus when he left was was what Caden Green brought to to that recruiting class on the offensive line position in terms of how he moved his feet, still being physical, but even at the offensive line spot, man, if you do not get your feet off the ground quickly and easily, if you're not able to bend well, if you're not able to react, you are going to have such a tough time those are those are things that you can get stronger to an extent, but your body's had so long to to develop that that slow footedness, if you will, yep. that that is a really, really, really hard thing to suddenly transition and get better at. That's why I'm a fan of Ozeda. You know, I think he's got some opportunity there as well. Uh, probably not this year, but certainly down the down the line. Uh, I like Everett, but. I think to a certain point, he's he's kind of just a guy out there. I don't think he's going to be – he's the kind of guy who, you know, if he's consistent enough, third-team all-conference type type player. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a, a huge star for them across the line. When it comes to Guyton, kind of in the same vein as Green, obviously Green's not a transfer, but Guyton is the kind of player who we really did not see the past – what three, four, five years under Riley was that he was a guy who the staff had a vision for when they brought him in from TCU. They said he's he's long, 
He moves his feet well. He is incredibly raw. He was a little bit of the reverse of Orlando Brown. He was a guy who already had some good athleticism to him, really didn't need to develop his hips quite as much as a guy like Brown did, didn't need to lose as much bad weight. In fact, needed to get a little bit thicker, a little bit stronger. And he was able to do that, but the vision was there and, and get this player drafted in the first round. And right now things are looking like that, but, but that's a position certainly as the, uh, the fall camp kind of goes on and matriculates down, uh, down the weeks that we're certainly going to be keeping an eye out on, you know, DMAC, before we get out of here today, got to get your thoughts. And I'm also going to share my opinion as well. Um, I posted some stuff on 360, by the way, posted it quite a bit, uh, sooner than uh, than when the news dropped. So we were on this. We had a good source um, over there who was giving us some info. But it looks like the conference out in uh, in your neck of the woods, the old Pac-12, is uh, has basically gone up in smoke. Man, you've got Oregon. You know, we already know USC, UCLA are out of there. They're on to the Big Ten. You know, somebody said. It was a great tweet, and I retweeted it or reposted it now that Twitter is called X. It's such a, yeah, I know. Very weird. Love you, Elon, but what the heck, man. You call it Twitter. Um, they basically said, OU and Texas are so important to college football that them going to the SEC essentially destroyed an entire conference. It forced UC, USC UCLA and now Oregon and Washington who aren't blue bloods, but they're on that fringe of being a top 25 program, top 20 program. Maybe Oregon has kind of slipped in and out of there over the past couple decades, but, but they see the writing on the wall. They know that if they stay out there out West, the TV is not good. The recruiting's not going to be good. It's going to be hard to have a program that can compete, you know, year in and year out. You've got guys at Oregon like Dan Lanning who, who know where you need to be able to recruit in order to win games. And they're not going to be able to do that with the way their conference is shaking out. So we had heard some things and you can obviously go check it over there on Sooners 360 and we're tracking it pretty close, but what does it feel like in terms of the tradition of college football, right? The, you know, what we're used to, what I grew up with, what you grew up with, right? Seeing the big eight, I was really more the age of end of the big eight, big 12 was what, what I got to see the most of. And there was, you know, just something cool to it. You know, the big East back then with Miami had some, a little bit of an allure, right? Miami was so dominant in that conference. And, you know, when they went out and played the big boys, quote unquote, how would they measure up? And then you had the Pac-10, you know, that eventually became the Pac-12. And it really felt like the the dying of tradition started when the big 12 dropped to 10 teams when A&M and Nebraska left. Granted, there was other stuff that happened before, but I really think that domino is what caused all of these other dominoes to to proceed. So as you see the Pac-12, Damian, just completely, you know, crumble into pieces, you know, what are you thinking in terms of where college football is going right now? I'm going to see if I can find this article for you real quick. There's an article from 2011. Uh, The then commissioner of the... Pack 12, whatever you want to call them now, Pack 10, Pack 12, six pack, I don't know, keg, whatever you want to call them. He said, along, and I, if I find it, I'll read the quote. Um, I was just looking at this tweet the other day, but he said Oklahoma and Texas didn't get built. 
at the end of the day, the Pac-12 is as a conference feels good about where we are, what happened and what didn't happen. And when we when we you know, when we closed the doors and consolidated the the actual decision on what to make, we feel good about the fact that we are we have who we have and we don't have who we don't have. Obviously, he was speaking in direct correlation to OU in Texas. Mm. And so the irony uh, in that a little over a decade later, our decision to force our hand into the SEC um, and and essentially create a, a juggernaut that only the Big Ten can compete with. I don't think the Big Ten um, top to bottom can compete with the SEC with OU and Texas included. I think uh, UCLA and USC helps that. And I think that's why it's essential for them to continue to, to, to compete in this arms race. But the Pac-10 is, it's a, it's a, you know, there's a word I like to use called yesteryear, right? When I was a kid, I was, I, I wanted to play for UC Berkeley. I wanted to be a golden bear. That's where I wanted to be because I'm from the East Bay and I wanted to represent my community. When I was in high school, I committed to Stanford. I was a, you know, I was a 4.0 student and and they, they, the culture on that program just made sense to me when I was a junior and senior in high school. And then of course, tear my ACL. I ended up in Oklahoma. I, let me tell you, I didn't know, I didn't know crap about OU until my senior year. I, I had heard of Bosworth. I had heard of Billy Sims. I had heard of Jamel Holloway because he was a California kid. But like, I had no idea what the history, the, the natties, none of that. I didn't know. Um, and I think it's a shame. And, and I was watching College Football Live today. And obviously, this is what they're talking about, right? The elite realignment stuff. At the end of the day, we're talking about institutions that are chasing money. And, and at, at every level, from the high school kid to the, the college player to right the graduating juniors and seniors they, they all they all you know uh try to de demerit the the actual players their families and even the schools in that regard but at the end of the day the institutions the actual presidents uh, and commissioners in these conferences and these universities they are chasing a bag the mm -hmm. end we talking about the pac-10 or pac-12 but i mean florida flat out said it we're going to die of a thousand cuts and that each cut is $30 million. Like they're not talking about tradition and playing against Clemson or playing against NC state, right? Oregon and, 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 and Washington aren't talking about Oregon OSU. I think it's the civil war or Wazoo, Washington, you know, whatever their thing is called. They ain't talking about none of that. Everybody is talking about that almighty dollar. And I get it. We're in America. By the way, America is a capitalist. That that is the foundation of our economy, of our of our, I would say even genealogy, the make of our DNA. So I understand, but let's not guise this in right, um, student athletics and scholastic. I don't even know what word goes after that anymore, because we all know that, that that's a joke. Um, but here's here's how I feel about it, B. For real, for real, it's every man for himself, man. I mean, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, think about it. OU severed a relationship, of course, big bro versus little red stamp head son relationship, but we severed a, a 91, 19, and 7, baby. <laughs> we severed that relationship because we wanted to go find bigger and brighter pastures. I, I respect that. Uh, USC, I respect that they about to go to the Big Ten and get their ass whooped. I respect that. Link is going that that two pay he got is gonna get it's gonna get called out because uh you know they they gonna see how fake and lacking the sustenance that the Trojans are, but I respect 
in today's society, what what people are doing, I get it. From 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 me, kind of from a nostalgic standpoint, though, I, I am going to miss seeing the Civil War. I am gonna, you know, it's gonna suck that the big game, oh, uh, uh, Cal versus Stanford, has been called the big game, right? The UCLA. USC, where they both wear their home uniforms. It's kind of like, you know, in Cali, we call it the Crips and the Bloods because you got the blue team and the red team and they're both in their home unis. Um, that's what made college football special. College football is moving closer and closer and closer to a model that looks like the NFL on Saturdays. But college football is kind of wanting to duplicate the, the profit sharing that the NFL is generating. Right. I think college football mm. might be able yeah. to overtake the NFL as the most profitable product just because there's so many more games. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Um, I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the pack, the, the, the six pack. We'll call them the six pack for right now. Um, I understand institutionally in a game where, I mean, everybody, the cat's out the bag, man. This is chasing money. Everybody's chasing money from the top down. And if, if now that we're being honest about it and allowing the players to participate in it and you know what I'm saying? Like the, 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 the playing field is leveled. You got to do what's best for you and your family. You got to do what's best for you and your college. Um, but us as fans, it is taking away from what made college football special, what made it sacred. I think that's a better term um, in, in the yesteryear, right? In the history of, but at the end of the day, you know, USC, I don't even want to use USC. Oregon and Washington want to be relevant in 20 years. And in order to do that, the decisions they make today are going to impact how they look in the next generation. So I definitely have to uh, show, I, I have to show a little sympathy for that. What, what are your thoughts? On yeah. That? So, so I get, here's what I think is interesting. And this is more of a grand discussion on like us population, but last year, 1.3 to like 1.6 million Americans moved south. And the the population of, of this country is kind of gradually going that direction, which, you know, kind of I in am. a way, d- there you go. So it loosely affects what's going on in terms of, of recruiting. And in some cases down the line can greatly affect it, right? If you have more people and more chances for, for you know, good players and, and greater uh, populations in certain areas, people are going to where the climate is good, where the restrictions aren't as great, right? People saw that during COVID where people moved south, they got out of the the Californias and, and the New Yorks and, and places like that. But then it's also just the, the, the recruiting landscape as it currently stands. I don't think in any other time has it ever been so important that you are able to recruit very specific areas. Right. And I just think this is because high school football has changed because a lot of the best high school talent is now matriculating to specific schools in the South. Right. You might have, you know, ace top shelf quarterback that's up in you know Pennsylvania and he's moving to Florida to go to IMG. Right. Yep. Or you got a big time kid who's up in Oregon or Idaho or or, you know, maybe northern California and he's moving to Texas or he's moving to Oklahoma or he's moving to, you know, name random place. And I think the writing is just on the wall. All the best seven on seven is played in the South. 
All the best seven on seven is played in Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Georgia. You, you, you can't get around that. And because social media has changed this. There's like a bigger discussion to all this than, than it's than just the, the teams and the money. Although that's very important, there's there's a little bit more of a, a discussion around just what's happening with society and why this has kind of forced the hand of all these teams. But you know, I, I worry a little bit about college football if when it starts becoming a revenue sharing sport, when the players eventually, not if they, when they eventually unionize, it's going to get very very interesting because it's that's going to be. Yeah, that's a different game. That we're not they're not gonna be playing the same game that we're watching right now. Yeah, and it will it's not gonna happen for a while, but it yeah. uh, it will happen one hundred percent. You're gonna start having uh holdouts, you're gonna start yeah. having lockouts, yeah. you're gonna it, it's gonna you're gonna completely change college football. And it's it's not gonna be near what what people see. Even right now, I think you're still holding on to a lot of the traditional piece. But I, I've seen there's a lot of um, move to impact legislation and, and do things to uh, to NIL. I don't know if you saw the bill that Tuberville and somebody else is trying to pass, where you put a few federal restrictions on what players can do in terms of NIL, but the school is required to give players some some health help, you know, during and then after their sport. So that's probably a, a net good thing. But obviously, there's details in the laws that, that you just got to look at, and read the fine print before you decide something is good or not. But man, NIL and... uh the daggum NCAA video game is all to freaking blame, dude. It has drastically changed college football as as we know it. And the NCAA didn't act soon enough. So now I think in the next five to six years, you're probably going to finally see full-on divisions, a full-on tournament. It's basically going to be NFL light. And but I, I think that's a good point that you made on... It, it's it might overtake the NFL in terms of of product, right? You have so many more TV markets that you can hit that are just natural. There's almost even more natural. What's the word I'm looking for? Just affinity in those areas by the people that grew up there for their team, even more so than the NFL. So if college football, if they ever get some some leadership, some centralized leadership that can help kind of steer the whole thing, which I think is the one thing that's missing. If they ever get that, I think it's going to, they're going to have the potential to, to do that. But don't think that day is today. And right now the Sooners just got to get through 2023, have a good season. Do you got any bold predictions yet? DMAC? anything, uh, any Braden Willis is leading the Sooners and touchdown receptions type predictions. Oh. <laughs> first thing first, I found the article. Let me read this to you, bro. This read is from it. September 1st, 2011. Uh, it's an ESPN article. It's an ESPN. Yeah, it's an article. It says a day after conference expansion, Armageddon was avoided with the PAC 12 taking a pass on Oklahoma and Texas. Commissioner Larry Scott was in good cheer. <laughs> And why not? Scott's conference still has the richest TV deal and is the most unified and stable conference in America. We could have expanded, 
But the deal didn't make any sense at the end of the day for us, especially given the position that we're in. Quote from Scott, there is a very high bar. It's hard to imagine very many scenarios where our coverage would expand because the bar is so high. <laughs> this is a literal wow. article from September 21st, 2011. I found this. I was just kind of, I, I was, because I felt like on the outside, I know, you know, we weren't excited about Bourne and how he handled it because my understanding, we had the opportunity and he kind of froze and cold feet. And so they kind of took it away. But boy, had the tables turned. The most unified, high standard, the most stable in America. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that one didn't, uh, age very well and, and i think oklahoma the same two teams he 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 and hahad i have now made the the life ending dagger to the to the gut that killed the conference <laughs>